0: Welcome to the Connect Church podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. All right, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, and a pretty difficult passage uh, this morning. Not difficult because it's... Hard. It's just difficult because it's such a small passage and it's so full of meaning, and uh, and so I hope that you have already, in preparation for the message, uh, processed through it this week as you went through Connect Twenty and the the principles and the proclamations that the Scripture has made in regard to this passage that you're keeping up with that as well. So, uh, if if you haven't, let me very quickly catch you up. It the the letter to the Ephesians these. Uh, uh, gentile christians in ephesus uh really is split right down the middle and uh and and the first three chapters have to do with more of the doctrine whereas the last four five and six have to do with our duty so you you, we say and we kind of break this down in a lot of different ways and it's kind of cute and clever but the first three chapters is the root and the last three chapters is the fruit all right, so it's why it matters and then what it produces, right? We, we talk about spirit, and if you can think back, and if you're not caught up, I encourage you to go back and listen, because context in the book of Ephesians is everything. It's like this continuation. It's not start and stop thoughts. It's because this thought, then this thought, and because this thought, it just constantly is building, and so if if you're not building with it, it might just be good advice, but uh you know, you talk about spiritual wealth, but now we're talking about the spiritual walk. We talk about who we are positionally in Christ, but now we're talking about the practice of what it looks like for Christ in us. The first three chapters is what is kind of from God's vantage point of what God sees. Now we're talking about what the world sees. We talk about we in Christ in the first three chapters, but it's talking about Christ in us the last three chapters. We're talking about belief and blessings and how that gives birth to behavior. And so the book of Ephesians is a really good balance of Paul's writing and also of James's writing, which is faith without works is dead. So, so Paul is talking about how important our faith is positionally, but that our faith does produce works. It produces not just things we do with our hands, it produces attitudes and emotions and those sorts of things that we can gauge. So it's, uh, it's really important to know the, the, the meat and the foundation and how Christianity doesn't just give birth to better people. You know, It's Christ in us as we open ourselves to obe- obedience to him that begins to produce Christ-likeness in us. So Ephesians chapter 5, we're coming to verse 18. And it says there, and, now and is an important word. And means there's connective tissue involved. So it means that because of what was just stated, now I have the authority to say this. So we'll get to that and in just a moment. But and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. Some translation says uh, debauchery or other, some other words, but they all, we'll, we'll scale back and see what that means in just a moment. But if you turn over to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul is praying a prayer there, and he pretty much sums up chapters 1, 2, and 3 in this prayer, and he sets up chapters 4, 5, and 6. He says this in verse 16, that he, referring to God, would grant you according to the riches of his glory. So because of chapters 1, 2, and 3, this is every privilege, every blessing that we have in Christ to be strengthened with power, how? Through his spirit in the inner man. He's he's referring to what is happening on the inside of us, not what is happening on the outside of us. That's where we get strengthened on the outside is from the inside. That's where it starts. And so Paul has told us that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, but now they are to be strengthened and, and we are to be strengthened according to what he has given us, which is himself his very nature, his very mind, his very spirit. And, uh, and perhaps this is one of the reasons why we keep trying, the, the ways we keep trying to gain rest. Have you ever tried to get rest? Have you ever went on a vacation and had to come home just to get a break? I mean, have you ever, have you ever, re- have you ever woken up when you're exhausted and you wake up and you feel like maybe even worse than you did when you tried to get rest? It's because that's not the way we're designed to get rest. rest. Outwardly occurs from receiving rest inwardly. So as we are strengthened in the inner man by the Spirit, that's what produces a strengthening. Verse 17 tells us, chapter 3, that we are strengthened by the power of the Spirit in the inner man based upon this our willingness to accommodate Jesus in every area of our life. That's what it looks like to be strengthened by his power in the inner man, is to be willingly obedient to what Jesus wants for our life. There is no other spiritual rest that's possible. There is no other direction in life than obedience to the teachings and to the life of Jesus Christ. Christ. This means that we are to willingly obey him, not just gain information, but to obey, to walk in obedience. And he's been talking to us now about what that looks like lived out. Remember, he starts chapter four with walk this way, walk this way. And in chapter five already, we've been walking in love. We've been walking in light. We're walking carefully everywhere we look. Because our obedience to the Lord affects every step, every thought, every heartbeat of our life. And if you, if you intentionally negate that or look over that, well, you're just being foolish, Paul said. He says it in a much stronger way. Foolish, and that word means intentionally, intentionally going against what you know is true. So, we keep trying to strengthen the outer man, making it stronger, the man of flesh. But this thought begins to permeate the whole rest of the book. And it, it already tells us how, but the, the letter then gives us practical illustration. So, this is how you know if you are being strengthened in the inner man by the, by the Spirit. So, verse 15, or uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, then. He warns them to walk wisely, making the most of the time. Verse 17, he says, so don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And the only way that you can know that is by being renewed in the power of the Spirit, by walking. So what he is saying, let me break all this down, and I know it's two or three chapters here, but what he is saying is, for those of you who say, I want to know what God's will is for me, don't say that. Don't say that you want to know what God's will is for you if you're not being obedient to Jesus Christ. There is no other way to know it. The the point is is that if you are walking carefully, taking into consideration and discerning what the will of the Lord is, then, then when the Lord has a specific will for you or something for you to say or to do, as you are already being obedient, you'll know what that thing is. So when we admit that I just want to know what God's will is for my life, well, it's proof we're not being obedient to Christ already. Because if you were, you'd know it. And you're intentionally not choosing it because what Paul is saying is that Jesus' will is super simple to discern. It's super simple. If you're missing it, it's because you're choosing to miss it. So don't be foolish and don't pretend like you're serious about Jesus when you're walking in disobedience and wanting to know what God's will is. It's just an excuse. So, Ephesians 5, he tells them to imitate God's love. He warns them to walk wisely. So, you
1: cannot miss only an intentional fool,
0: only a rebellious fool could miss the will of God. Paul continues the thought of walking wisely. That's why the and is there, because it continues. This is not just a out-of-the-blue rant on alcohol. This is because of these things and do not get drunk with wine. But the comparison is be filled with the Spirit. So there is a comparison there between uh, intoxicating beverages and being filled with the Spirit. And there's several things that I want us to see. They're in in stark contrast to each other. The first part says, don't get drunk with wine. And the verb there is in the present tense. And it's a, it's a very uh, complicated word in the original language. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it because I know some of you probably just... Want to get to the meat of it, so that's what we'll do. If we need to have a conversation about it, we can. But this word is in in, uh, in present tense, which means. And by the way, everybody. So yes, yeah, so we're going to talk about drinking for a moment, uh, obviously. Uh, but everybody wants to have their own definition of what drunk means. You know, people will have their own idea of where it is to be drunk. That's not the way the Greek word works. It's not a. It's not a definitive time where it's. Oh, here I was clearly thinking, here I am 100% sober, and here I'm completely out of control. That's not the way the word works. So everybody kind of chooses what fits them and, you know, how comfortable they are with alcohol. But the word that Paul uses is that don't allow yourself to get onto that slippery slope where you're affected, and you may not even know it. So it starts with the first drink, of course, or there wouldn't be any drinking, And so that's what the word means is don't begin never. In fact, is the the right tense. Never begin the slippery slope that would bring you to a place of being controlled by something on the outside. That's what Paul is ultimately saying here in context with talking about being submitted to Christ, submitted to the Spirit, because it's a slippery slope. It's a very interesting choice of word, that Paul uses. So what he is saying is that we shouldn't allow the effects of drunkenness to stimulate us. Not only the word, but the context makes it clear. I mean, it seems really out of place for Paul to be talking about obedience to the Spirit and then bring up one illustration to to prove his point. So, context is everything and we'll take you on a little history lesson for just a moment. Remember who Paul is writing to? Paul is writing to Gentile Christians living where? Look at the top of the page. Ephesus. Yeah, this is first generation Christians. They're not living in somebody else's legacy. Paul's had to teach them from the ground up of who they are positionally in Christ and what that's going to look like in their day-to-day life. So drunkenness is a word during Paul's day, much different than, again, the way we typically use it today. But it was used in religious circles. As a matter of fact, they thought drunkenness was a means of communicating with the spirits, their gods. Their gods. So in worshiping their gods in the pagan temples uh, during during those days, they would begin by drinking wine. But for the purpose of not pleasure or entertainment, but so that they could lose their mind in some slippery slope and
1: start having some communion with, with their gods. The drunker they got,
0: the more they would act in all kinds of wild ways and because of the crowd I'm not going to get into all of that but I'll leave leave that thought there but they thought that when they got into that state of mind of relaxation of rest of communion of one another of you know of just kind of all melting in together that they would get into this state of mind. It's very similar to the way many cultures still practice this. They just don't know the origin. Some of the reasons why some of the Native Americans would smoke certain things, and that's when they would have their visions and, and, and ideas in the communion with God. Is When you get into this new agey euphoric communion, this outer experience, spiritual experience, and God would really begin to speak and show you things and give you visions and, and ideas. So, this is what Paul directly is referring to, and that's why, to this day, alcohol is compared to drinking spirits. Now, the pagan cults of Paul's day and the pagan temples of that day were filled with this kind of idolatry. Everywhere you looked, immorality, debauchery. So, let me give you an example. Remember, Ephesus. Ephesus was known for the Greek temple to Artemis. Artemis, in fact, the temple to Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Ephesus was a big deal. People would come from all over. But there was another god that was worshipped there in Ephesus as well, the god Dionysus. Dionysus has a very interesting story. And as Satan is a liar, he is a deceiver, he is an accuser, he he is the father of all lies. And so everything that God sets out to do or to prophesy, Satan tries to get in on the act ahead of time and provide an artificial substitute. And Dionysus is a very good illustration of that. So... I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you the story so you can know who these people used to worship. It's very important for you to know how the Ephesians worshiped just a couple of years ago. So they believed the greatest god in their pantheon of gods was named Zeus. Romans called him Jupiter, but they had, uh, and in fact, all of these. Gods are interchangeable with with the Romans. But you can look through history and see some of the things that are prophesied about the Messiah in the Old Testament and how Satan circumvented and and left some sort of a legacy in many pagan religions Around the world. Now it's one thing to say, wait a minute. So hundreds hundreds of years earlier, you've got certain gods in like a Hindu tradition, like Vishnu, that was virgin born. He was like, Man, hundreds of years before Jesus, there was already talk of virgin birth. Yeah, but this was prophesied. Jesus' virgin birth was prophesied thousands of years previous to that. You think Satan doesn't know the word of God? Of course he does, which is where these kind of stories come from. So you can always see that Satan is trying to pervert it. And Dionysius is an evident perversion, a counterfeit meant to deceive. And the Ephesians, when they started hearing about Jesus, they were like, oh yeah, we already have that God here. We already have a a God where the father Zeus, who now rules all of the heavens, actually came to earth and impregnated Semele, who was a princess of Thebes, and believe it or not, he never even touched her. And she conceived, was about to bear a child, but Zeus's wife decided that she should go, that Semele, not herself, should go and meet the father of her child. And so she required an encounter with Zeus. But when she got close, she couldn't, she couldn't deal with the glory of his radiance. Well, we would say that, about our father it was zeus's lightning bolts that she got too close to and she incinerated on fire being pregnant with child she blew up into uh, just oblivion and just at the right time zeus trying to protect his child reached into her womb pulled out the baby and stuck it on his thigh And he began to carry, how silly is that, right? Began to carry that little baby on his thigh until it was ready to be born. Well, Zeus told all of the gods that Dionysius was going to be the ruler of all of earth, of everybody who lived on the earth. Now, during that day, there wasn't very many humans. The world was filled with the titans that the Greeks, that the Greek gods had overthrown and cast to the earth. And so the titans were lesser thans and so the titans got so angry that Zeus is going to give birth to this half-born god half-born woman and he's going to place that child in dominion to rule over us no way And so they take Dionysus when he is born and they rip his arms apart, they rip his legs apart, they tear limb from limb and destroy him. Well, just at the right time, Zeus reaches in, takes his heart, eats it, produces him again. And as punishment, he blows up all of the Titans to ashes. And wherever their ashes landed... Human beings popped up. And now these human beings are part God, part human. We all have the capacity to experience God-like thought and to know the hearts of the ones who rule us. This This is crazy, but it's
1: very similar without all the weird stuff. So Dionysius became the ruler
0: of men. He became the bridge by which mankind could have communication with his father, Zeus. By the way, Dionysius is the only God who's called the uh, twice-born God because he was born twice. So I say all that to say this. I know it's weird. I know it sounds creepy. This is about this kind of teaching in Ephesians, in, the, in Ephesus, came out about 500 years before Jesus. They had been practicing this now for centuries before Paul taught them about one who came to earth to a virgin, who is the bridge between God, the one that we communicate with to get to the Father. And they are saying to themselves, oh, yeah, we, we have a relationship with that God. Every time we get drunk, he speaks to us. So yeah, we know how to be obedient to that God. We know how to follow. Dionysius, That's yeah, we, we know his name by another name. And so when Paul is teaching the Ephesians how to walk carefully and how to discern what God's will is, and here's how you'll know when you see God's will. They are saying, oh yeah, yeah, we, we've actually been doing that for a long time. We've got temples here. Oh yeah, we're Christians Now, we'll call ourselves Christians, but, but we know how to communicate with the gods. So in verse 18, Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit.
1: Don't be like a foolish Gentile who can't understand the day. The way that God
0: works is being controlled from the inside that manifests itself outwardly. Don't fall for that being controlled on the outside so that it can change you on the inside. It's a deception. It's a trick. I hope that you understand the importance of knowing what Paul is combating here. He's clearing up their false teaching, not giving them a command. Now, I will say that the Ephesian believers have come out of this Paul knew that drunkenness had become a part of their religious ceremony, just like immorality, idolatry had all been a part of it. Drinking was just a way to be filled with the Spirit of God. The way to know, the way to be obedient is to be out of control. But remember in chapter 4, verse 17, Paul said This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Maybe that makes a little more sense as to what Paul is referring to. In other words, do not
1: go back to that which you've abandoned. Look at the fruit. Look at their lives.
0: Look at their brokenness, their emptiness. Look at the divorce rate. Look at the abuses. Look at the betrayal. Look at the sexual immorality. Look at the idolatry. Don't go back to that, because that will always produce that. And you may say, well, it doesn't every time. Well, it may not every time, but it does produce that. Paul knew that it was going to be a temptation. Paul knew that they were going to get desperate. And anytime you get desperate, you begin to revert back to what you used to do. So he brought them the present tense command of don't drop your guard. Because the Gentiles are watching and you need to
1: show them a better way of knowing obedience to Christ. We do not ascend to God. He's already descended to us. It's insulting. It's rebellious. He has
0: sent His Spirit to live in us. God is in us. We don't need anything on the outside to give us what the inside already promises. We have everything on the inside to control us. So, while we may be naive and foolish enough to... Think of drinking as worship. I don't think that any of us would say, Oh, yes, where I worship the best. Well, maybe, but I don't I don't think we're that foolish. But I think the principle and the comparison that Paul makes clear is there's a better choice than the slippery slope, the slippery point of what is drunk and out of control, and the drink that opens to removing the ability to fully be able to obey. This is only one. I mean, I don't think that this is the test verse to say don't. I think there's many others that proves that. And let's not, even, let's not even talk about whether we can or whether we can't drink alcohol. Let's talk about for the disciple. The question is, what can I get away with? The question for a disciple should be, what gives God the most glory? That's the question that we should be asking. Everybody wants to know, can a Christian drink? What difference does it make? There's a lot of things Christians could do that they might not should do. So let's test ourselves by saying, what is the best practice for a believer? How can I prove that I'm being controlled by the spirit of God? And that principle belongs to a whole lot of things. So I go back to, and I'm gonna won't, I won't read all of it unless I need to. I just don't, I don't know that I need to, number uh deuteronomy hmm, leviticus chapter 8 leviticus chapter 8 uh and you can turn over there if you would like but aaron is the high priest and being the high priest he has pretty specific roles and rules in order to perform the role of the high priest to intercede on behalf of the people to minister to them so every descendant of aaron then begins to be as the The Levites, they are priests. That entire tribe are priests. And so Aaron has two sons, Nadab and Abihu, and they are being ordained into the priesthood in Leviticus chapter 8. Now, there is a... In in chapter 9 of Leviticus is a first sort of ceremony of sacrifice. And so they go into the temple and they they watch Aaron performing the duties. And at the end of the sacrifice, the fire that Aaron produces for the sacrifice, it comes out among the people and they watch the spirit of God work in the sacrifice and the people are ooing and awing, and they are just, wow, this is a, kind of the first time they've ever seen anything like this before. And Nadab and Abihu are like, that's right, that's gonna be my job real soon. Chapter 10. Chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu go in before the Lord, before the altar of the Lord and they make what the scriptures say profane fire. Profane just simply means they made it, they made it in a way that God told them not. They didn't do it the way God told them to do it. How did they do it? doesn't matter. They were disobedient. They were doing spiritual things in a disobedient way. And the Bible says whenever they lit the fire and they were watching and they were waiting for the applause of the people and the ooing and the awing, they dropped dead. Now, I don't know exactly what their motivations were, but in that same chapter... The Lord came to Moses and told Moses, you better tell Aaron he better not grieve this because he knew better. They were being foolish, rebellious. They knew not to do this. So don't you hang your head low and don't you be all sad. You need to say, that's exactly what happens when you disobey God. So you're the priest. You set the standard, Aaron. But the Lord then shows up to Aaron himself. This is the first time the Lord spoke to Aaron. After his sons have dropped dead in the temple. And here is what was said Leviticus chapter 10, verse 8. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. So when you're going into the presence of the Lord, when you're going into the temple, don't drink. Here's what he says lest you die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are, and here's why, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to what? Teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Now, when you couple this so, so what, what God is telling Aaron is, when you're going in to perform spiritual service, you better make sure that you're clear-minded. He doesn't say don't get drunk. He says drink no wine. Because you're about to go perform a cer- ceremony or a service where you need to know the difference between holy and common things. Now, simple enough, we're not high priests. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter said, Now that we are the temple, we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession. Listen here. It's the same, it's the same thing that he gave to priests, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous
1: light. So I think this is what Paul is
0: trying to make very, very clear is that Christians should never be caught in a situation in their life where they can't determine not good and bad, holy
1: and common, natural and spiritual so that we can discern the will of God in any given moment. That
0: we can be strengthened by the power of His Spirit in the inner man. That we can prove that there is a better way, not relating to mankind, relating to the very Spirit of God Himself that dwells within us. You remember back in Acts chapter, chapter 2, when they first were endowed with the Holy Spirit... And the manifestation there was the speaking of tongues. Fourteen different languages were represented, Acts says. And so all of those men who were gathered from all around the world heard the message in their own language. And there is all sorts of this glossolalia going on. And they're, they're talking in languages that that they don't know and they don't understand. And yet people are hearing. And, and when the outsiders hear and see what's going on, they're like, oh, we know what's going on here. These guys have been drinking. They're communing with God and they're telling us all they're preaching about their God. That makes sense. They've been drinking. This is why Peter said, no, no, we're not been drinking. It's just nine o'clock in the morning. Not drinking. This this is what it looks like to be able to manifest the presence
1: of God. What you're hearing is from God himself. Significant difference. Being drunk, Paul says, not which could lead to
0: dissipation, debauchery. Asotia is the Greek word. It means waste, waste. Does it mean excess? Does it mean out of control? It means waste. In Titus chapter 1, verse 6, Paul uses the word. He says, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of asotia, debauchery, or insubordination or rebellion. That word is directly tied to. Rebellion in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of asotia, debauchery, that they may malign you. At the core definition, this word means Wasteful. And Paul isn't saying don't drink too much because you don't want to waste it. What Paul is saying is when you could have access to the will and the walk of God, when you could have strengthening in the inner man by the power of the Holy Spirit, why would you you choose
1: this? Such a waste. Such a waste. There's a better way. So here's what he said Don't be
0: deceived, speak truth. Don't sin in anger. Don't steal, work hard. Don't let corrupt things come out of your mouth, but build up and encourage. This whole last half of the book of Ephesians is do this, don't do this. Don't grieve the spirit, put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and Instead, be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. Imitate God. Don't imitate men. Don't be filthy, foolish, crude, but be thankful. He's been comparing life in the flesh to life in the Spirit ever since he began talking, and so here is no different. Don't be drunk with wine, which is a waste. Be filled with the Spirit, not the Spirit's. Now, we've already seen the word "filled" in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 3, verse 19, he says, And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. What this means is, is that all of God gets all of you. That's what it means to be filled It means to walk in 100% absolute obedience. And this word, as it is used, means an imperative sense, which means it's a command, and it is a a present tense, which means that it means all the time, that we are to live in a state of feeling. Now, I brought a couple of little quick props. I never do this. I don't like props. I always mess them up. Spoiler alert. uh, I brought my coffee cup. And so a lot of times people think of this as being filled. And so what you do is you, you know, you put this underneath the presence of God and the spirit of God and you let it fill up. And then, you know, whenever you take a notion, you just pour yourself out and it, okay, now fill back up and just try to stay filled, you know, pour out, fill back up and pour out and fill back up. And uh, you know, sometimes you get down here and you're like, what? I feel empty. Oh Lord, I need you. Fills us back up. And we're just this walking around vessel that just tries to constantly stay filled. And it's, pretty miserable actually because you never really know and it's like once you know it's like getting to that last drink of coffee you're like oh man how did I get so low on coffee (laughs) so what this word actually means is this now I know that you might not be able to see completely what this is but this is also a container the word filling does not mean to continually be emptied and refilled I want you to think of this being in the river All right? So this is right in the middle of the river, and being filled by the Holy Spirit means this. Right? That's what the word means. It means to have water flowing in and water flowing out because you can't get more of the Spirit than you have on the day you say yes to Him. You're completely indwelt by the Spirit. You have received the washing and the purification that you have the Holy Spirit. It's not about dripping out the Holy Spirit and putting some more back in and losing some and gaining some. That's miserable. That's not what Christianity teaches. What Christianity teaches is what you have come into you is coming out of you. Be filled all the time. All the time. Now here's what can happen. You have the Holy
1: Spirit, but you're clogged up. You're clogged up. It's foolish to be clogged up. Meaning that the
0: Spirit is available to you, but you've said no. And there's no evidence of that in your life. It's got a hardened artery that, you know, it just keeps passing its way around, keeps passing its way around, making a way, but eventually, no life. This is why Paul says don't grieve the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit of God wants to flow through you always. Don't waste. Don't waste your opportunity by not allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through you at all times. Now, this is a defining moment in the book of Ephesians because he's about to get super specific about what happens in the clog, how you'll know if you're clogged or not. Then he goes to the very next passage, the very next verse, and he says, submit to one another. Now, I really thought I was going to have a ton more time than this. So whoever spoke just before me took way too much. Oh, it was me the whole time. Anyway, so whatever. Uh, I'm not trying to judge. Uh, But I wanted to talk about the first fruits of that indwelling. You know what the first fruits of that is? I'm going to read it. I don't think I read it earlier. Let's just read it. I'll make some... Comments, let us go. All right, so do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19 addressing one another, speaking to one another. That word addressing or speaking, it doesn't, it doesn't, it it just means uh, communicating, right? To one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the heart. Uh, To the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is very powerful. So, when Paul is saying the first fruits of knowing that the power of the Spirit is flowing through you is community, speaking to one another. That's how you're going to know your heart's turned to each other. You're looking for the outflow, that's how you know you're not clogged up. Is because you're pouring yourself out. What? I'm I'm pouring out what God is teaching me. I'm speaking to one another and I'm singing songs because every, every room of my heart is completely filled with the joy of the Lord. What happens there? Listen, I don't think we understand how important singing is to our worship. Not so we can feel something, but so that we can declare things together. Psalms, these are truths about God that we know from His Word. It's when we sing songs of truth where God has revealed things to us, we sing it back to Him. A lot of the Old Testament, for instance, would be this, when we sing songs, we're singing songs that come right out of Scripture. We're singing them back to God. We agree with these things, psalms. Hymns are also important songs, but they're more songs about God. We sing lots of songs about God. I'll be honest with you, songs... Sung on uh, like, like God's words, you know, like from God's perspective, that's not worship. We will get into all that maybe some other time. Uh, but we've got to be very, very careful of what passes off as psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We are incredibly careful as a church. To, we want to make sure that we're honoring the Lord in our worship. But psalms are songs of truth sung to God. Hymns are songs that we sing about God. Spiritual songs are a lot more general in that they are songs that we sing about God to one another. And we try to include all three of these types of worship songs. You got psalms are more uh, uh, praise and worship. You got hymns that are a lot more deep and rich. And then you got spiritual songs that just speak encouragement to one another. It's one of the proofs that the Holy Spirit's moving through us is that we're singing songs to each other and we're submitting to one another. It's the Holy Spirit that recreates us. He power, empowers us. He flows through us first into each other. And it's our songs, our worship that blends our hearts into one. And when we recognize that we are one, we submit to one another. This is all about spiritual authority. Not hierarchy. By the way, this word submission, we're going to talk about that again next week if you want to read ahead. This word submission actually means to place yourself under. And it's every time that it's used, it's always in, among, among equal parts. There's no hierarchy in the church. Jesus Christ is the head. That's all the old hierarchy we have. There's no spiritual authority where it's leaders and nah, nah, that's garbage. That doesn't belong to God. What does belong to God is our melted hearts into one and encouraging, speaking life into each other, reminding each other of the deep spiritual truths, and that helps keep the clog free. Sometimes we see worship as just the preliminaries to something or something to make us feel good. It's not. Sometimes I think we should sing and just turn around and look at each other powerful to sit in a room where people are expressing truths to God, expressing truths about God and speaking encouragement to one another. So this morning, the big takeaway that I want us to have is that we need to make sure that we are empowered, powered by the Holy Spirit, that our inward self is giving God complete permission to lead us and to guide us and direct us that we're under His control
1: and that there is proofs of that inward control. So, you know, we, we can do whatever we
0: want to do with the verses themselves. I guess that's all on each one of us. But I think Paul's admonition is, is that there needs to be an inward guiding voice that helps us to discern what God wants and that we shouldn't allow anything in our life that would get in the way of being able to hear that. Because when you do, there's going to be clogs. There to be clogs in your conduit that will keep you from allowing the Lord to renew you, to renew others that
1: stand together.
0: I'm going to ask you this morning, if, if, there, if, if maybe the Lord has spoken to you, maybe you know of something that is in your life that is getting in the way of renewal, something in the way that's keeping you from being strengthened. This morning, if, if you want to lay that down, uh, I want to help you. If, if you want to talk about it, I want to talk about it. I'd, like, I'd love to be able to pray with you. Uh, but as we, as we close this morning... I want us just to pray and ask the Lord to reveal to us with His discernment so that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ has every room of our heart. Lord, we thank You this morning for Your Word. We thank You for Your Spirit. We thank You for Your patience. We thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your grace, Your mercy, Your forgiveness. Every rich that we have, every, every blessing that we have we're grateful and Lord I pray that you would pass those blessings directly through us I pray that you would help us to not not allow any impediment any former way of thinking any foolish rebellion that's in our life any, any lie that we have believed any deceit that we're under I pray that you would reveal it so we can walk in power and strength and joy and hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.